Well, good morning, and welcome back to church and our series on Revelations. Now, Revelations is a very big book, and so sometimes we can get lost in it. A couple of weeks ago, Stu helpfully gave us a map of the book of Revelations, and this is the map of the book of Revelations. And today we're going to be starting to look at the seven seals, which is right here. But we're about a quarter of the way through the book of Revelation. But it's good for us to be reminded of where we are in the book right now. A couple of weeks ago, uh, we, Stu uh, explained to us from Revelation chapter 4 that there was a, a throne room in heaven and all the living creatures and all the elders and all the church beamers were bowing down before God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And last week, Craig showed us that same throne room, but in this same throne room, there was shown a, a big scroll with seven seals. But John the, John, the author, wept because no one could open these seals until he was told that the lion from the tribe of Judah could open the seals. So he turned around to look for the lion of Judah, and he saw a lamb which looked like it was slain. And because this lamb was slain, he was worthy to open the scroll, to break open the seals. And because of that, he heard all of heaven praising not only God the Father, but also worshipping the lamb as well. Now today, we're presented with that same scroll, and we're shown that the lamb starts opening each of the seals. And today he'll actually open six seals, and you have to wait for next week to see the seventh seal being opened. But before we jump into this passage, I have to warn you, this passage is pretty dark, it's pretty scary, and the people who are first listening to this passage would have felt the same way as we did when we just heard it read. But for them, it was a reminder that this world is hard, there's going to be persecutions, we heard about that with the seven churches already, there's going to be suffering and even death, but in the midst of all this, they were reminded that as hard and as long as this was, it is just limited. I don't know if you can see at the back there, there's a little bit of pink sticky tape on this rope. Their suffering in this creation is going to last a short time relative to how they're going to live forever. There'll be a new creation, and when that comes, what we do in this life is going to affect the, the creation to come. And so they're told, hang on, whatever it is that you're going through, it's limited. Now, I was trying to work out how do I um, explain this passage without depressing you all with uh, the, the different sections, and, and what, how can I do it to make it memorable? And the only thing I could come up with was, we're going to see three things. One is four, one is fifth, and one is sixth. No, it's not a grammatical problem. We're going to look at the first four seals, and then we're going to look at the fifth seal, and then we're going to look at the sixth seal as they are opened by the Lamb. So let's look at the first four seals, and you'll see them in verses 1 through to 8. Uh, and you, So you need one eyeball on your Bibles and one eyeball on me, so hopefully we can work through this together. Now, even if you haven't been to church before, or you, you seldom go to church, you would have heard stories about these four seals, and they're often called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And as we look at these four horsemen, we'll notice that there's, there's four of them, and they get called out each in turn. Now, the first one is called out, and the first one is white. One of, the, one of the creatures that serves God calls out to the first horseman, the white horseman, come. Now, in Western culture, we think of white as purity, and in Eastern culture, we think of white as death. But in the Bible's culture, white, of course, is the color of victory, of conquest, and in this case, oppression. And so this first horseman comes out, and he oppresses the earth, economically, politically, as we saw with the trade unions and the temples, uh, but maybe not so much militarily, they'll come later. But he starts to oppress people. There's slavery going on in that time. It was true back then, but it's also true today. 
because the International Justice Mission tells us that in the world right now, there's 40 million slaves on earth. 2017, just last year, and probably a little bit more this year. So slavery back then, slavery today. Well then, another creature calls out to another horse, and this horse is red. He says, come, come. And this horse is red, which symbolizes danger to us in the West, and also happiness, if you like, in the East. But in the Bible, it actually symbolizes war. And this horse comes out and starts to declare war and make men slay each other. That was true back then, lots of wars, but it's also true today. A group called IRIN, who was part of the United Nations before, but have now become a bit arm's length to them, tells us that there were 40 active wars in the world last year. Now, it depends what you call a war, but a lot of wars. You know? it's, it's, no, it's not a world of peace. It was true of them, and it's true of us. Then another living creature calls out to another horse, and this horse is black, and it called black, come out. And we usually think of black as evil, but in the Bible's color scheme, black is the color for famine. And so this horse comes out and brings about scarcity and inflation to all the earth. We saw that you can get one quart of wheat for a day's wages. Now, one quart is enough to feed one man, but a day's wages should actually feed a whole family. And so you can see there's not very much food going around. Or you can opt for the sort of low-budget variety, the sort of Coles home brand kind of variety, which is barley, and you get three quarts of that for a day's wages. Now, most people's family are more than three, so even that, people are going to go hungry. So there was famine back in their day, there was scarcity back in their day, and there's scarcity today as well. The World Health Organization tells us that in 2016, there's 815 million people who are malnourished in the world, and quite a few of them would have died from famine. The world was bad back then, the world is still hard now. And lastly, the fourth horse gets called out. Come, and this horse is pale, and pale stands for death. I'm sure quite a few of us have seen a dead body. Um, I've seen my grandparents' uh, dead body in the hospital in the morgue, and they look, they look pale. And so this is the, co the colour scheme of the Bible as well. And I don't need to cite any statistic from an NGO to tell you that 100% of all people die. But I don't think the, the John is actually talking about natural death. I think he's talking about sudden, and ac uh, sudden or uh, un unnatural death. But it's going to be part of their world. And certainly it's a part of our world as well. Now... When we read this stuff, we sort of think, oh, that sounds pretty bad, and I'm sure the world was pretty bad back then, and even the world right now is pretty bad, but that's not my experience. That's not the case in Sydney. That's not the case in Roseville. And yes, it's true. We don't suffer in any of the ways that they do. It's even embarrassing to actually talk about our suffering and then put in the same paragraph as them. But having said that, in their world, life was hard, and this letter tells them, Hang in there. God knows it's hard, but God's still with you. And in our world today, it's the same. Our world is not perfect. It's also fractured like them. Now, we might not have conquest per se. We might be enslaved, but we all do fear a little bit what our bosses can do to us or our children, uh, what our peers can do in terms of getting a promotion instead of us. We fear for our children that they might get bullied at school. There is some sort of oppression, some sort of fear of that, even in society today, even in the North Shore. We don't, have, we don't have a war as such, at least not in our neck of the woods, but I'm guessing a lot of us were quite spooked uh, when the Link Cafe incident happened. And certainly if we have family and friends in Melbourne with their Flinders Streets, the two ramming incidents, it spooked us. 
But it's not even just acts of terrorism. It's just conflict within relationships. I'm sure all of us have got people who have deeply hurt us and damaged us in the past. And no doubt we have also hurt people as well. And so if our relationships aren't perfect. Our world is still fractured, just like theirs was. And likewise, we don't have any famine in the North Shore. In fact, I think for most of us, um, we've pretty much gone the other way. We need to sort of cut down a bit. But having said that, we still do fear scarcity, don't we? I mean, how many of you have got income protection? I'm suspecting quite a few. How many of you are scared that maybe your name will be next on that redundancy list? Or that maybe your superannuation isn't going to be enough to cover you if laws changes? Their world is fractured. Our world is fractured too. We fear scarcity too. And we don't have unnatural deaths per se, a lot of it, but we always have in the back of our minds a little bit of a scare that for our parents or for our children even, that we might have an accident, there might be some diagnosis which will downgrade the quality of life or even take life away from us. We too fear unnatural death. And so our world is not that dissimilar to theirs. And to us, this passage tells us this morning, God knows that life is hard. And in, in a way, it's supposed to be like that because we live in a fallen world. And just like the people back then can hold on to God and remember that he knows, so too today, when the hard times of life, we can remember. God's not blind to this. He knows about it. And life is supposed to be this way. And in the good times, we need to remember to give thanks to God for it. Give thanks to a generous God. We should never complain, so the song says. We shouldn't complain. We should be thankful. And not pour all our efforts and dreams and hopes into this life because this life is ultimately flawed and fractured. We're looking for something to come. So that's the first four seals. The second part of it is the fifth seal. And we'll see this in verses 9 through to 11. And this is a pretty gruesome picture. It's a picture of martyrdom. We have a bunch of martyrs who are, who are in the base of the altar. There's an altar there, and where the blood usually is, there's no blood there anymore, but it's actually the souls of the martyrs. And they're, they're sitting in there, and they're crying out to God, God, when are you going to vindicate our lives? We live for you. We died for you like you told us to. And now we're dead, but all these other guys are, are living a great life. They're, they're having a great life without us, and our friends are suffering as well. When are you going to vindicate us, God? And God gives them two answers. He gives the first answer, he's, he does it as, like it's a silent answer. He gives a white robe to them. And remember, white means victory. And so he's saying, remember... You did live for me. You died for me. And that is true victory. Those guys having their slaves feed them grapes in Rome, those guys with the big armies, are those guys with their billion-dollar mansions in Vaucluse, driving their Teslas, nothing wrong with Tesla. If you have one, use it to praise God. Uh, but those guys ultimately aren't the winners. You are the winners. You're the ones wearing the white clothes, white robes, not them. So remember, you're victors. And not only that, he gives them a second answer. And the second answer is wait. Wait for a while. Wait for a while. How long? Wait until they kill more Christians. Wait until the number of martyrs has reached its proper limit. I'm in control even of that. And so don't worry. I haven't turned a blind eye. They're not winning. I'm waiting. It's kind of like what we've read about in the Genesis passage. Genesis passage said a uh, long time ago, God promised Abram that he would give him the land of the Amorites. But he said, not yet, because their sin hasn't reached its limit. Go away, four generations, you will die, but your descendants will come back, and the Amorites' sin will have reached its limit, 
and then I will judge them, and the whole world will know how good my judgments are, and then you'll possess the land. Uh, we run a little play at home, well, actually more me than, than, than Anne, my wife, but um, my older two kids are kind of messy, and so they like to do things and not pack up. So, you know, they'll do their homework and not pack up, they'll play with a toy they won't pack up, they'll read their books and not pack up, and so... So oftentimes I say, oh, pack up, you know, you can do whatever you want next, but you have to pack up first, and then you can do your next thing. Then you have to pack up, and then you'll always know where your things are. But of course they do it grudgingly. So every now and again, I let their, their, their mess build up. I let their sin build up until it reaches to a limit. And just the other week, um, Renee, the seven-year-old, uh, she had to go to school with her library book. And she couldn't find her library book. So she was looking everywhere, and she couldn't find her library book. Well, too bad, we have to go to school now. So she had to go to school, and when she got to school, she didn't have a library book, and so she missed out on an opportunity to get a little raw card, a little um, merit card. And so my hope was that she'd come home and say, oh, righteous and wise are the judgments of mummy and daddy. Um, next time we'll put our stuff away, and we'll see if it works. So ask me in a few months' time, see if that works. But it's like that, right? The they're mess built up, and they suffered for it. Now, this is what's happening here in Revelation, but it, God's not dealing with library books and toys. He's dealing with lives. Christian lives, and they're dying. And the first readers of this letter would have been thinking, oh my goodness, my friends have died for Jesus, and now I'm hearing that more will die. Maybe it'll be my other friends. Maybe it'll even be me. And God's saying, yes, maybe it will be. But in the midst of all of this, I am in control, not the world. I haven't forgotten you. You will wear the white robe one day. So hang in there. This is limited. Now, martyrdom was there in the first century, and in fact, it's been there all through history. And in fact, Open Doors tells us that one in 12 Christians this year experienced persecution of some sort. One in 12, that's huge. And a lot of them are martyred for their belief in Jesus. And so I was thinking, if we were ever oppressed, or if we started getting martyred for Jesus, we would want our brothers and sisters around the world to stand with us as well, wouldn't we? And so and I'm woeful at this, but let me encourage you to do it alongside me, um, we need to be informed about the persecuted churches. So uh, two good places that I look up is Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs. It's good for us to be, first of all, informed. Uh, secondly, uh, these guys are always asking for prayer, for financial help, uh, for letters even. You can even write to, to people in the persecuted church, and it's good for us to encourage them that way. And lastly, there's even uh, very complicated things, but you can actually go on a trip to visit some of these churches as well. So instead of the next holiday, you might think of using half of that holiday to go and visit some of our brothers and sisters in persecuted churches. They're suffering, they're even dying, and they need us to stand beside them. But in the midst of them suffering in their ways and us suffering in our ways, the message is clear today. God hasn't forgotten. In fact, God is still control. All right, now come, finally we come to the last seal. And the last seal is found in verses 12 through to 17. And here, everything goes crazy. The moon turns to blood, the sun gets blacked out, the stars fall from the sky, um, mountains and islands that disappear, all, all hell is breaking loose. And the people are scurrying around in terror. The powerful people, like the kings and the princes and the generals and the millionaires and the billionaires and the multinational CEOs, they're scurrying around, the freemen are scurrying around, even the slaves are scurrying around, and they're in abject terror. They're actually calling out to mountains, mountains fall on us presumably to create some sort of hiding place where they can hide, or they could even be saying, mountains fall on us, we'd rather die than face what is to come, because what is to come is the wrath of he who sits on the throne and of 
the lamb. These guys are terrified because wrath is coming. Wrath from God the Father and God the Son. And it's right that they feel this way because God is powerful. Did you notice with the four horsemen, they weren't in control. The servants of God had to invite them, had to command them to come, come. They're not in control. God's in control. And did you notice also with the, the black horse, he was limited. See, he could, he could do the hyperinflation, he could cause a scarcity, but there's limits. Don't touch the oil and the wine. There's limits placed. And even with all of them, they're allowed to roam over one quarter of the earth and not the whole earth. They aren't the powerful ones. There's a power hive in them. God is in control of the four horsemen. Again, with the, the death of the martyrs, it's not them that are killing Christians. Well, they are, but God's in control of that as well. God has a limit to how many Christians will be martyred. And so when they realize this, they are terrified of God the Father and God the Son. They should have listened to Jesus when he first came and said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, some of us are sitting there and we're thinking, oh, I don't, I don't think I like this very much, this passage very much. Uh, I, I sort of thought of Jesus as a nice little baby or I like to think of Jesus as a, a kind healer and a good teacher. And yeah, Jesus is those things. But it's good for you to come and see this side of Jesus as a righteous judge as well. And some of you are sitting there thinking, well, uh, you know what, that's exactly what I expected from church. I expected to come to church and for some crazy guy to get up the front and start waving his arms and talking about fire and brimstone. That's exactly what I thought. Well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> there are parts of the Bible which describe Jesus in very scary terms. And it's good for you to come here and to hear about it. But come back next week as well because you, you see another side of Jesus. And in fact, if you're free on Wednesday night, let me invite you to come to the Life of Jesus course which we have running right here at church. And you can, you can look at the whole life of Jesus and understand him better. But remember back to the first readers of this passage. They would have been thinking, oh my goodness, the life, is, life is so bad, my friends are dying, I might die next. And at the sixth seal, they're reminded there is a superpower that's in charge of all of these things. And I need to think, I need to reveal, all these guys are running around scared of him, and I need a bit of that reverent fear as well. Now, I'm not, we don't be terrified of Jesus. He died for us, we're forgiven. Our sins don't count against us. And he even calls us his friend. And while we are Jesus' friends, we aren't his peers. When he gives us a command, it's not a suggestion. We need to obey. When he says, I love the world and my heart bleeds for the lost, it's not, a, that's a nice thing to aspire to. It's like, I want you to love those things as well. Too many of us see Jesus as too much of a buddy and not as a friend and our God. And we've lost a bit of that reverent fear for God. And I think we need some of that back. But having said that, they looked at Jesus and said, wow, life is hard right now. We look like we're on the losing team. But as the sixth seal is opened and as a crack is opening in the door to the seventh seal, we're reminded that Jesus is the mighty, powerful one, and we can, it's, it's worth it, and it's right for us to put our trust in him, and we're on the right team, and they're encouraged and emboldened by that, and we can be too. Well, today we've seen a lot of things. We've seen that there's four seals that get broken, and life is hard. It's meant to be. God knows about it. So let's not invest our life and our dreams in this life, but be always holding on for the one to come. We've seen that Christians suffer in the fifth seal and even die but God hasn't forgotten us. 
He's with us. He's with our brothers and sisters who die even now and all through history. God is in control of that. And one day God will come back and all the earth will see him for what he is, the mighty, victorious judge of the whole creation. In the meantime, while we suffer and while we go through hard times, we're reminded today that all of this stuff is limited. It only lasts for this long. And one day Jesus will come back and usher in eternity. And in this eternity, there will be no crying, tears or pain, and it will be good. And how we live in this short section will actually affect the way we live in eternity. If you're visiting us today, thank you so much for coming and spending your morning with us. I hope you've learned a little bit more about Jesus. Let me invite you to come to Morning Tea and, in fact, the Life of Jesus course to come. And if not, we'll see you next week. But if you are a Christian, I hope you've been encouraged, I hope you've been rebuked to not pour our life into this section of life. It is important and it's real, but also always keeping in mind that there's eternity to come and also to be being rebuked and reminded that we need to treat Jesus as a friend and as a saviour, but also as Lord and God as well. Amen.